Welcome listeners to the Sequoia Breeze podcast, a breath of fresh air for your homeschool. I am your host, Rebecca Lasavio. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you will subscribe and review this podcast wherever you listen. Today, I am joined by Nicole, the math lady. And Nicole, I just realized I don't even know your last name. If I assume it's not the math lady. <laughs> It's true. Some people wonder, is it really the math lady? It's actually Nicole Thomas, but like nobody knows that. (laughs) (laughs) And she is calling in all the way from Florida. And I'm super excited to talk with you today, Nicole. I got to meet you a couple years ago at a conference and got a feel for what a fun gal you are. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So Nicole, you agreed to come and talk to us today about finding your math match. And I'm super intrigued by that title. I would love to hear, I mean, you teach math and you very, you have a real specific niche as well in how you teach math. And yet you give a talk at conferences about how to find the right curriculum and right method for families. That's correct. Yeah. Well, sometimes people, you know, when they meet me, right, so I'm Nicole the math lady and I teach a particular curriculum and they think I'm going to say, you should really just use the curriculum that I use. And you're going to, first thing you're going to find out is that's not what I'm going to tell you. (laughs) You know, it's that really it's about finding the right match and you've got to bring two things together, right? You've got to bring together what are you looking for in the curriculum that you're using, you know, and for those, those people who are using curriculum, or what you're looking for in the resources that you're using. And you also have to look at your student, right? To me, that is the glory of homeschooling, right? We get to tailor what we're doing to the little person sitting in front of us, right? We don't have to teach the 30 people at one time. So mm-hmm. I'm going to look at, like, it was funny. I, I also homeschool my son, who's 13. You know, I just finished homeschooling him right before this call. And look, you know, it's probably the most challenging part of my day and the best part of my day. Cause I really think about like, okay, what can I create, you know, what can I do or what can I find to make this point go home with him, you know? And right. it's funny because a lot of the things that I, I will come up with or find when I'm working with him will later become things that I offer on the website because I, it really like it worked for my son. I think it might work for some other people too, <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Cause it, you know that when somebody is offering a service that they're also using practically themselves, that they are going to be way more in tune with how, what works and what doesn't. So yeah. Oh, yeah. it was a game changer. When I first started Nicole, the math lady, I actually was not a homeschooler. So I learned about, you know, the homeschool community and what people were looking for. And then as many people who came to homeschooling during COVID, I was one of those. And, uh, you know, had the opportunity to say, you know what, I think this is going to be the right decision for my family. And I got to tell you, it's a whole other world. <laughs> it's a whole other world to see, you know, what he needs. And, you know, uh, it, it's funny. People will ask me, well, does he use Nicole the math lady? And I'll be like, yeah, he does. I'll, you know, <laughs> just the way people will point to my videos and tell their, tell their students to go, go watch Nicole. Um, I'll do the same. I'll be like, his name is Justin. I'll be like, Justin, go watch a video and then we can talk about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he has to live with the corny brain breaks, right? 
Oh yeah. His, his as many other students, it's their favorite part of the site. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think a lot of our Sequoia Grove families might be excited to hear you say that because we have a lot of families that are a part of our schools now that are in the same boat and they're still very much trying to figure out what they're doing, what works for them, what works for their kids, how to make those decisions. So when you are talking to a family about how to find your math match, where do you start? Yeah, that's great. It's a great question. And it's funny because, again, I literally found myself in the middle of this in the last maybe few weeks, right? So, um, you know, I teach, again, a particular curriculum. Uh, and where you generally start is there's basically in math, there's two types of math that people will offer as far as homeschooling curriculums. Now, first of all, like I want to talk, tell people out there, I get your pain because when you start looking for curriculums, there's over 50 math curriculums that are directed at homeschool families. So I see it all the time in the Facebook groups, like, how do I pick a curriculum? Or like, which one do you recommend? Or, you know, there's a lot coming at us, right? So the first right. thing, that, a place that I start is I say, okay, basically there's two types. Like there's a spiral method and there's a mastery method. So let's talk about those two methods and break them down, okay? I'll actually start with the mastery one first. Mastery is probably what most of us as adults had when we were in school, if we attended public school, right? You took a particular topic in math and you learned that topic pretty fully. And then, you know, you had a test on that topic. Then you moved on to a brand new topic in math, right? And the cool part about that is you have a chance to, as the title says, master a particular concept, you get tested on it and you move on. The challenge with a, a curriculum of that of that nature is that as many of us found when it was time for like a final or a final test at the end, we were like, did we even learn that topic? Like we forgot. <laughs> we forgot what we learned. So if we're not having a chance to constantly reuse a skill, you might forget it. Right. So that's mastery. If you go over to the spiral side, spiral is a little bit different where they take little slivers. You know, so, for example, let's say we're using we're, we're learning fractions. We're going to learn a little bit about a fraction, maybe like what a numerator and denominator is. And then on the next day, you would think, OK, I'm going to learn more about that fraction. They might actually switch to talking about decimals, which is just another form of a fraction. Right. Which, by the way, uh, I did not really realize until I started teaching that those were all the same thing. Like, because you know, I forgot it when I was in school, you know. <laughs> So, you know, it might teach a little sliver of something and it'll do a sliver of a decimal. And maybe on the on the second day, it'll have practice problems about fractions and decimals. So I'm still learning. I'm still using something about fraction. But now I've added decimal. So maybe on like my third or fourth day, I go back and I add another sliver about a fraction. Maybe I learn how to like break it up and show what a fraction is visually you know, and then maybe the fifth day I talk about decimals again. So you're constantly spiraling back and building upon a topic. Okay. So what's the benefit of something like this is that you are, you know, you don't have a chance to forget because you're constantly using that skill. And what's the con of something like this? You know, it, again, for many of us, it's different than how we learn. And when you first start doing it, you're like, why do they teach it like this? Like, why don't they just like handle a topic, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so both, both of these are great ways to learn. You know, people say, is there one better than the other? I don't think so. I really think that both are, are, are possible ways to do it. 
But I do think, again, I, I liken mass match to like um, speed dating. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> speed dating is all about finding like something that you've got chemistry with and like you can continue with the conversation, right? So, you know, we're, we're going to see like, hey, does, does my student like like this kind of learning or are they frustrated by this kind of learning, right? So we want to be able to like try a little of this and try a little of that right. and see what works, see what works for your kid. I've found that sometimes in the mastery approach, kids can get really like if they're feeling stuck or they can get tired of a specific yeah. topic. And sometimes a break can really help to not keep them feeling sort of beat down by a subject that they're that they're they've been wrestling with for a while. Yeah. But sometimes in the spiral approach, um, if they get the topic, it like it keeps coming up. And they're like, but I get this. I don't need to keep doing this. So they can each have their own um their own pros and cons and own ways of needing to break things up or, you know, they might need with spiral. I've had to go through and cross things out. Like, yeah, you, I, I know you don't, you already know this. You don't have to keep doing these for a little while. Right. We'll take a break from that. But mastery is like, well, let's move on to the next chapter and try a different topic for a little while. We'll come back to this when your brain's rested from this particular topic. Right. And that isn't that to me, like, that's like the awesomeness of homeschooling again. Like you can customize, you see what's working for this particular student and you can say, mm -hmm. okay, I know we've covered this. I know you know this. If you, if you decide that, that, you know, there's something that works better for your student, do it. Like I'm all about like, as the parent, as the teacher, you get to decide, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It's, and you get to decide for each student too. You don't even have to make the same decision. Well, <laughs> All four of my kids are in different math curricula. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say is that, and again, it, it's like the glory and the pain of homeschooling, right? Because sometimes right. it'd be like, oh, it'd be great for everybody to be on lesson three today. And, you know, everybody's in different books. But again, to me, you, you look to see what's going to be a, ma a match for the kid you know, like some kids are going mm -hmm. to need a curriculum, you know, so after we talk about spiral, right, spiral versus mastery, the next thing I'll talk about is the tactileness of the curriculum, meaning, you know, some students are going to really want something that's hands-on and visual, and they need to touch it and see it and have a lot of manipulatives. And then others are more like they want to sit down at their desk and work through their textbook more you know, and then that's a whole spectrum, right? So you're going to find that like, everything mm -hmm. I'm talking about is a spectrum. So let's even go back to the spiral and mastery for, for a minute. I personally, you know, don't believe that it's just one or the other. Like there's a spectrum and you don't have to just say, I want this or that. You could say, mm -hmm. you know what? I like, for example, the, the, the curriculum that I use is a, you know, technically on paper, it's a spiral learning curriculum. But what I started doing, and this is how I told you, like I work with my son and then things end up on the on the website for our families, <laughs> is I started noticing that he needed like a few extra problems, you know, like in that in the in the practice session, they were only giving me two of the topic that we did on Tuesday. And I felt like I needed like four of them. You know, mm -hmm. so I had our team create like a whole bank of problems where if I just need two more problems to kind of do a little mastery on that on my topic. I can go to the special part of the site, grab two or three more problems and do a little bit of spiral and mastery at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's so many options out there where you don't have to be stuck in this corner or that. I just, you know, invite the families to say, what's going to work for my kid at this moment? I need mm -hmm. a little bit extra of this. Great. Go find it. You know, um, how do you recognize in your child that they might need a more manipulative, heavy, or more visual?
visual math curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, I, I'm definitely all for trying things out. So <laughs> this is where vendors don't like me as much because I tell everybody that they should demand free trials from people. <laughs> and I believe that to be true. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, so, like, and I think you try it, right? You try teaching with something. You don't need to go buy curriculum yet. You know, you can just pull things up on the internet or YouTube or, you know, so for example, the, the, the spectrum again is, something that's really, really highly manipulative based to something that's really more textbook based. And then there is the spectrum in between, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you might say, okay, it seems that my kid does really well sitting down with a textbook, you know, going through the lesson, going through the problems. But I've noticed, like, I'll give it to you today. We did fractions in my house today. And we were talking about simplifying. So, you know what we had? We had the little fraction pieces, right? They're here. Mm -hmm. And we're laying the fraction pieces on top of the, you know, of each other to find how we can simplify and find equivalent fractions, right? So, was that part of, you know, in the book? Well, I have these these manipulatives sitting here on the side, you know, and I'll recommend, you know, to, to my families, hey, you, you might want to go on. And I'm also like kind of cheap, Rebecca. Like, I don't <laughs> like, like spending a lot of money. I'll be like, look, this is on Amazon for like two bucks. Like go <laughs> or dollar store for like two bucks. Like go get some cheap, you know, manipulatives. And now you can add to your textbook, you know, um, uh, and see if the, how the kid responds, you know, and because for example, you know, I will notice like sometimes my son responds to something that's manipulative, right? Like we'll actually go get the crayons out and count crayons. Or sometimes he just needs something that's visual, like a visual sign that's, that's like a little reminder. Like when we're talking mm -hmm. about average, remember average is a two-step problem, you know, so we created a little visual. So you the, to me, again, the glory of homeschooling and why we do this is that we get to bend and flex and see and adapt and say, okay, did that work? That didn't work. I got to find another, I got to find another tool in, in my toolkit. So I'm always trying to make sure that you have a, a full toolkit. You know, do you have your manipulatives? Do you have your signs? Do you have your visual, you know, um, things that will help, you know, visual incentives or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, do you have incentives, you know, do you have your toolkit fully, fully furnished? So um, your student is motivated and excited to learn. So we've decided on mastering your spiral, mm -hmm. whether or not we need some, uh, you know, backup of manipulatives or just lots of them up front. Um, what's, how do we, what do we look at next? Mm -hmm. So here's one that it kind of always cracks me up when I talk about this one, because I find that after I demystify it a little bit, people are at least a little bit more open to having the conversation about it. So common core, let's talk about common core. I always call it I the dirty one. I was going to ask you about that. So yes, let's, because <laughs> I know sometimes people are like, I don't want common core or I do want common core. And I sometimes wonder if they even really know what they're asking. That's exactly what I have found, right? So here's what I always tell people. I do not have a bone in, or a dog in that fight, right? Like of, of the common core fight. So I'm just going to tell people like what it is. And then mm -hmm. you can see, does my student need the kind of skills that the, com that the common core curriculum was designed to do? And then if so, how do I find something that's a good fit for my needs, right? Mm -hmm. So common core, the idea of common core was that if you live in New York and you have a third grader in New York and you picked up and you moved to Texas and you had a third grader in Texas, that they would be uh, expected to learn the same things in that third grade year, right? Okay. And 
if you move around this country, right, you will find that that is not the case. You know, there's one thing going on in California, one thing going on in Florida, another thing going on in New York, and everybody's doing their own thing. So the idea of, you know, Common Core was to get some common standards that we said, hey, if you're in this particular grade, here's the things we think you should have learned by this grade. That was the idea of it. Good idea, right? Good idea in concept, good idea on paper. Now, what happened, unfortunately, is some of, you know, processes with big organizations is that, you know, people, I think the people who were closest to the students didn't have as much input as they should have, meaning the teachers, right? Mm -hmm. Teachers are the ones who are in there every day. They know what their students need. And there wasn't like, from again, my understanding, there just wasn't enough teacher input in how this thing was put together. So the idea, the second idea behind Common Core was that when we looked globally at how the U.S. was doing in the area of math, we weren't doing that great, you know? And right mm-hmm. now, as we know, as we saw with COVID, we live in a global world, right? Our students are going to be competing against people globally for positions. So we wanted to up the ante in the area of math and science. Okay. So we're not doing so great. We're kind of like not, they don't have the common standards. Let's put some common standards in. Great idea, right? The challenge was that uh, sometimes the, the teaching, the actual teaching was more complicated than like you, what you and I learned when we were in school. Like the idea was to like try it newly, but sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was kind of like, the, the, so I'll give you like an example in a moment, um, but let me add this one other thing. Um, the, the Back to the global piece, the idea was that many of our students were learning math in a vacuum and they were not able to apply it to the real world, right? You probably get your your, your, your kids mm-hmm. even ask the same thing, like, how am I going to use this in real life? How am I going to use this in real life? So the idea was to give more real world examples of how math could be applied in real, in real life, which is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So good premise, the execution probably had some challenges. So teachers weren't super involved. So when teachers looked at some of the strategies, they were like, that is not how I would teach that to a student. Like that is overly complex. That is very difficult. So teachers were not bought in, unfortunately, you know, and if the people who are rolling it out are not bought in, it's not going to work very well. So I tell my families, if you have a student who would benefit from that real world application of math, you know, looking for problems of how they could implement it in the real world. They could benefit from a common core curriculum. You know, now there are, there's also a spectrum of common core curriculums. Like not all common core curriculums are made the same. So it could be that some just have problems that they just have more like, like the, the curriculum that I work with they're, they're not really a common core curriculum. They've got like a, a pure homeschool curriculum, which is absolutely not common core. And then they have one that I call common core friendly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the idea was that they just um, would put in more practice problems that were more real world or they were more word problems. Like I'll get a lot of families going, my kid needs more practice with word problems. Well, that's more real world stuff. So you know, they had more of that. I think that's a great thing, right? For some students, some students having a whole, you know, half a page of word problems would just about kill them, you Mm -hmm. know? So you got to look at your student. Is your student going to be one who's more computation based and they can apply 
you know, um, some of the some of the math to real world, or you really need somebody who's like understanding it being applied to the real world all the time. Okay, so I just tell families, don't discount it so quickly. Look and see, could my child benefit from this? And it's also possible that you don't need to buy a whole curriculum. That's that that's Cotton Core. You could also supplement with more word problems, supplement with more right. um, real world activities. You know, um, for example, we did for Pi Day <laughs> at Nicole the Math Lady. You know, everybody's like, let's make a pie. And I'm like, okay, pies are great. Let's make a pie. But let's actually teach what pie means. <laughs> like, and how you can use it in the real world on pie day. You know, like to, that to me makes pie day mean a whole lot more. And pie day is March 14th because pie is 3.14. Right? I, I like it, Rebecca. I like it. <laughs> in case people aren't, so we're talking pie, P-I. <laughs> But making a P-I-E right. to celebrate the day. So. That's right. And we had all sorts of pies, pizza pies, apple pies, you name it. Love it, Marie. Oh, fun. <laughs> so, and I've also noticed with, with some curriculum, um, I think sometimes you parents might, if, they're, if they really feel anti-Common Core, they might discount a curriculum too quickly that maybe says Common Core Align, but it wasn't built to be common core, they just found a way, as you said, to adjust a few things so that somebody who is looking for common core can um, can take that. Or if they need, if if a family needed to meet those regulations for something, they know that they could use that curriculum, and it's not necessarily turned itself inside out yeah. to be different math, you know, or, or some, sometimes I've seen curriculum say, here are the common core standards we do meet. We don't meet them all. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and let's actually even like demystify it a little bit more for people. Right. So people will be like, okay, I didn't even understand what common core like math would look like. So for example, let's do something really simple. You know how we were taught how to do eight plus five, right? We were taught to go to eight and then we were taught to count up, right? 9, 10, 11, 12. I, I always do this in a workshop and you'll actually see people like their mouths moving, <laughs> you know. Eight, <laughs> nine, 10, 11, okay, 13, I got it. Okay. Well, Common Core t teaches it a little bit differently. They teach the students to think more in terms of groups of 10. And the reason that they want them to think in groups of 10 is it's easier to hold groups of 10 in our head. So mental math was one of the things that they were hoping to impact with common core type teaching. So instead of saying eight, you know, count up five to get to 13, they would say eight, what do I need to get to 10? Oh, I need two. So I'm gonna take two of my five. Now I'm at 10. And what do I have left over? I've got three left over. So boom, I'm at 13. Now it's really funny because when I do that in a workshop, people are like, that's so much harder. Well, that's because how that's that's how we were taught. <laughs> right? right. Like right. we were taught differently. But when you work with kids, um, and you teach it to them and you have enough repeated practice, they get it. And then they mm -hmm. can do those kinds of numbers with much larger numbers. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that's where like an instance where I thought, oh, that's a that's a pretty good way to teach, you know, a teach math. But then there were some things that were like I saw this one I had a student I was working with who I had to do a long division problem with them. And the way they did long division was like really challenging. And I thought. I'm just going to show you how to do it the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tell parents there are things that are common core aligned, as you said, the, the, the book might just say we meet these standards. Mm -hmm. And there's things that are common core teaching where they like they really made changes of how they teach things 
I think those are where you might want to look and say, is that for me and my student? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So are there any other things to take into consideration as you're looking for your math match? Yeah, there's another, there's like two more things. The next thing I always say is the level of technology you would like to have, right? And, you know, what I tell people is, look, your students are living in a different world than what we grew up in, okay? And, you know, technology is where many of many of them spend their lives and will spend their lives and need to be agile. So we don't want our students, you know, doing math on the computer for the first time when they're taking their SAT test, right, to get into college. Right, yeah. <laughs> we want them to be comfortable and familiar because it, it, there is a bit of a different shift that takes place. Like I remember when we first started doing things on the computer, I was so anti. I was like, no, no, we need to do this all on pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell p- families, there's, a, there's like another, again, there's a spectrum of where I say no tech, let's say that's on the left and high tech is on the right. No tech, I almost don't think is an option in this day and and age. You need to have at least a little bit of tech, right? A little bit of like maybe just having your student, you know, be familiar with how to, you know, go to a website that that, that does math. Okay, fine. On In the middle might be more of a program like mine where I'm a a real life person, right? And I have videos where they access them on the web or they do their grading. Like, so all the grading on our site is auto graded. The student puts their answer in, it grades it automatically, but it's the teaching is not, you know, online automated. It's not a, a computer-based program. And that would it's be just a video of you. Yeah. That would be on the right-hand side, the, the high tech where, you know, like a program like an IXL or something like that, where the program itself is teaching the math through visuals or uh, animated character. So again, if you want to, if you're clear that your child would do really well from having a live person, then look for that. If you think your child would do well with animated characters and YouTube videos, then look for that. So again, the glory of homeschooling, find what works for your student, find where on that spectrum it's going to work for your student. And I think this one, especially maybe even more than the others you've talked about can change over time. Sticking a kindergartner in front of a computer to do math Right. In most cases, it's probably not advisable. Right. Um, but at some point, you may need either maybe the parent has to work part time or they um, have gone beyond what the parent is capable of teaching the child or helping the child along with their math. And so it may be time for them to move further to the other side of the spectrum right. and start, you know, the, I, that's very much what's happened in in our house that, you know, where I'm still holding my fourth grader wants to be online, but it's just because he wants the screen. So we're right. not doing that because that's the wrong reason. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> well, it's funny too. Here's the other thing that happens. And, uh, and as a parent of two, I totally get, I feel this in my bones. As we all know, as they get a little older, sometimes they want a little distance from us, you yeah, know, yes. and yeah. a little independence from us. So, you know, sliding further on that spectrum could give them a little bit of independence. But also as the parent, we still want to make sure the program we're using has tools that we can monitor and we can check in and we know what's going on. So again, you slide along that along that continuum and you find out at, for your student at that moment what's going to work. And the, here's the bad part. You kind of hit on it. Over time, things change. You know, like mm-hmm. what worked for the third grader may not necessarily be what worked for the 10th grader. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a change that needs to happen. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you mentioned too that we don't want the first time that they are on the computer 
being for the SAT, well, our families do have to take tests each year. So they yeah. are doing the California state testing as well as some little short kind of um, check-in tests throughout the year just to make sure that everybody's moving along. Yeah. So the kids do need to be able to look at a screen and look at a math problem that may not look like their math book. Yeah. But Absolutely. they do know that skill like to recognize. I know that skill and I can plug this in, even though it's coming at me from a little bit different format that I'm used to. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's half of what it is, right? Like I, people will ask me, well, Nicole, what's the best way to prepare for this test or that test? And I'll be like, you need to take a course. Like it's not because half of like, for example, standardized testing is understanding how the test is formatted and how the questions are coming at you right? and, and marrying that with what the student's knowledge is, you know? So mm -hmm. you're going to take an SAT or an ACT. Yeah. You're going to want to do some kind of prep for how those questions are coming at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is that the last step in choosing your math ah, curriculum? So actually, here's the last step. So usually okay. I will tell families, okay, so we've got the spiral versus mastery. You know, we've got manipulatives and, you know, how, uh, you know, textbook based. We've got the common core. We've got the technology. The last part, that's all stuff about the curriculum, right? That's like, I call right. it the left-hand side, right? So that's like, you know, the person you're trying to meet <laughs> when you're doing speed dating. But <laughs> <laughs> on the on the other side is you and is your student. Amen. Right. And, and that's the other 50% of the equation. So it's not just all about the curriculum. It's about what your student needs and what works for your student. So I have always been a fan of, you know, finding out the style that your student learns in best. And I really should say styles with an S on the end, because there's, you know, if you Google, you know, learning styles, you're going to find like, there's some people who say there's three, there's some people who say there's four, you'll find some who say there's 13. I mean, there's just, you know, <laughs> but the idea is that we learn in different ways and that we have preferences on how we like to learn. So let's find out a little bit about how your student prefers to learn. Do you have a student who prefers to learn very visually? Great. You know, who likes to see, learn through images Okay, then you're gonna like want something that's very like, you know, colorful and, uh, you know, has, you know, like as I said, I've created like these little signs that I put up in our little workroom to help remind him of certain things. And you'll see when he like is trying to find something in his brain, he'll look to the sign, you know, my son's a visual mm -hmm. learner, right? Or do you have an audio learner? You know, somebody who, you know, not only learns through listening, but learns through speaking. Like they need to have a conversation with you. They need to work it out, you know? Do you have somebody who's a read writer, right? Like a really, you know, loves to read and likes to like write out their answer, right? You might need to know that they might, they might need to like do their math on paper first before they can talk it out with you. Like you're going to mm -hmm. learn that up. Do you have a kinesthetic learner? Do you have somebody who needs to be up and out of their seat? I always remember I had this one student I was working with. We were trying to learn multiplication tables. He could not learn them just sitting across the table from me he couldn't memorize them. You know, we would drill. He couldn't memorize them. And I was like, let's just get like, what do you like to do? He was a basketball player. So we went in the backyard. We started shooting hoops and started reciting the, the math tables while he was shooting hoops. Okay. Instantly, he started memorizing them. Wow. Why is that? Right? He learns more kinesthetically. Like, that's just mm -hmm. how he prefers. So people were like, well, how do I know which one my kid is? Well, first of all, your kid's not only one of them. You know, your kid is all of them, but there's some preferences that your kid might have. So there are, there's an assessment that I love to use. It's called the VARK, V-A-R-K, 
Google it, <laughs> you know, and there's like a little, a little quiz, right? That you can take for yourself. You can have your student take, or you can kind of take, if you have a really young student, you can kind of take for your student, you know, from observation. And it'll just give you some ideas of like, oh, my student might lean more towards this way. So let me try to find some curriculums that teach in this, in this way, you know, that, you know, are very visual. Like a visual might be like, for example, I do videos, right? That's a visual medium. <laughs> they're watching me. They're watching my face. They're watching the screen. You know, so there's there's many ways for that to be met. But you've got to know what's going to work best for your student. And here's here's the also flip part of this, right? So like some of the current research around behavior styles is saying, you know, uh, you know, we're not even really sure that you know your your child is one or two of these. Here's what I say to that. As I said, your child has all of the learning styles. We can learn in any of these ways. We have some preferences. So, you know, when my son is challenged with something, I will think, okay, how can I represent this visually? You know, or how can I represent this more auditorily? You know, can, mm -hmm. we, can we talk and can we like repeat and repeat it back to me and repeat and repeat it back to me? Or I'll say, do we need to write this down? I'm going to have him write this down on paper with his own handwriting three times. So he can, you know, go through the motions of writing it down. Like I was definitely that student in college. Like I had to rewrite my notes to learn my lectures, you know. Um, or is he a kinesthetic? Do we need to get up? Do we need to go manipulate something and move something? So take the styles and apply it to what you're learning. Apply it to the, you know, let's say you have one type of curriculum. Again, you can take this style and figure out a way to talk about this one thing that they're challenged about and 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 fit it to a way that their brain is going to say yes to. That's, and, and each kid will be so differently. It takes, it. that's the, one of the challenges of homeschooling, I think, yeah. is that you, you, while we have the freedom to meet our kids where they're at, we also have the responsibility <laughs> to, yeah. to yeah. meet each of our kids where they're at. And so that can take some, some work on our part, but yeah, also allows our kids to learn in the best way possible for them. And um, and yeah. that's such a sweet place to find. And like, um, here's the cool part, right? Like we didn't choose to do this because we just were like, wanted to open a book and like, you know, do a lesson and be done in an hour and move on to the next thing. Like it's the joy of finding out how to get that aha moment from our kid. Isn't that the awesome part? Yes. You know, like, and so often those come at the end of a struggle, right? <laughs> aha moments don't usually just come they're oh, not made <laughs> you know, right. you wrestle with something to get to earn that aha uh -huh moment <laughs> you gotta climb the hill first and you're like Woo, i'm finally right. on the <laughs> and you know in addition to the like learning styles i have found that i've also had to take into consideration for my kids how independently each of them learns mm -hmm. or how much accountability that they need and you know that's really different for each of them as well um yeah. You know, one might need to really keep an eye on because there's distractibility or, you know, yeah. a, she might not be as likely to finish, whereas another one will finish, but she needs more cheerleading. Right. And, you know, so there's, but those sometimes have to do with which curriculum you choose and sometimes just contribute to how, what the method is. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think sometimes that um, if they're not super independent, but they're older and they need a little space for mom and dad, then you might need a website that they can be accountable to so that you're not the one saying, get it done, get it done. Right. They've got somebody else telling them. <laughs> it's, well, I, I tell you, some of my favorite emails that we get are, Nicole, 
you saved my relationship with my child because again, sometimes as they get a little older, you know, that like the relationship, you know, of being mom and teacher, you know, can be right. a little challenge, you know? So sometimes it's good. I always say we tag team, you know, it's the three of us. We're trying to get it done together. So, <laughs> And in the end, it's just math, but your child and the relationship that you have with them is forever. And so that's, that's what really matters. And math a curriculum is just a tool to help you teach something that's important, but is just math. That's right. At the end of the day, like I always say, what's going to have you be successful in this world, you know, is not going to be what I learned in algebra two. <laughs> you know, and I love algebra too. I mean, I love algebra too. <laughs> but you know, it's the skills of like discipline and sitting myself down and being able to do my work, you know, three, you know, three to five times a week. And those skills that I learned to do my math are the things that are going to have me be successful in this world. Amen. <laughs> so that um, feels like a really great place to stop. I'm not sure where else we can take the conversation after that, but I do want to give you a chance, Nicole, to tell our listeners how to find you. If they've been really excited about what they've heard about um, what you offer and how you teach and all that, how can they find you? Awesome. Okay. So yeah, if you've kind of listened to me and said, I want to check out what she's doing. Again, I'm Nicole, the math lady, and it's at NicoleTheMathLady.com. And essentially the curriculum that I use is the Saxon math curriculum, which is funny because many people who maybe in their older years tried Saxon math, or if they were homeschooled, they were, they were, uh, they use Saxon math themselves. And people will come up to me at the conference and they'll be like, oh my gosh, if I had had you when I was learning Saxon math, my, my life would have been different, you know? So I'm always, I'm happy. To, I think it's a great curriculum. Uh, it is an intense curriculum. So that's where, you know, I get to come in and I love, I just feel like I was gifted in some random way, like, you know, to, to teach math to kids. Like I can somehow sit, speak it in a way where they just get it and they go, oh, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And they're like, okay, well, that made sense. So I have on-demand videos of where students look at every single lesson in the textbook. They just open up um, their textbook, which they do need. And then they go to my site, they watch me teach the lesson, and then they do their practice set and they enter their answers into the system one at a time. And it immediately grades it, which is awesome because it gives them feedback as they're doing the problem. So if they made a mistake, they get to find out immediately, and then we have retries, which allows them to try the problem again until they get it correct, or they can kind of, you know, there's some ways that they can get help. Um, so that's what we do at Nicole the Math Lady. If you're interested, check us out. As I said, I believe in free trials, no credit card free trials, because I want you to just to try it with no stress of like, oh my gosh, do I need to cancel it in seven days? I can't take that. <laughs> my brain can't remember that. So that's awesome, awesome right? <laughs> We're homeschooling. We have a lot of other things to think about. That's right. I can't be thinking, I can't be keeping track of when my free trial ends. So yeah, so people can go in and they can see the system. And what I tell people is let your student use the free trial. Like don't it, it is for you too, but let them use it and then watch them. Watch how they navigate the site and how they feel about it and ask them because kids, they know. They know if, if they think that I could be a good, you know, tag team partner for you and them. Um, so yeah, and that's what we do. What grade do? Ah, sorry. Yes. What yeah. grade do your lessons start with? 
My lessons start with grade three and they go to grade 12. Uh, the, uh, so sometimes people will be like, Nicole, are you going to do first and second grade? And I, right now I'm holding firm to no, and I'll tell you why. Um, I like taking care of your older kids so you can spend time with the younger ones down on the floor with the blocks. Like that's what I can't do with them right across from a video. So I just believe at that young, young age, I would love for them to be with you. And then once I hit third grade, I can take them from there. I can see them through to 12th grade. Awesome. And and you have, you know, algebra one and two and geometry and all those upper grade things all set up to automatically correct, automatically grade and all of that. Yes. very. And as I said, we also just released Mastery Bank, which is this 10,000 practice problems by topic. So, you know, wow. let's say again, you, you, you like the spiral, but you're like, I think I need a few more problems that are kind of more mastery. Then you can go into our mastery bank and just pull out, you know, pull up, search for your topic and pull out the topics that you need and get maybe three or four problems or maybe 10 problems or maybe 50 if they need a lot of work. You mm -hmm. know, just That's depends. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nicole, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate you coming on and um, joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And again, I just want to, you know, empower your families that I, again, I understand this journey, being a part of it myself, it is all, you've got this. Like, I just want to encourage you, support you and let you know you've got this. You are the best, you know, your children are in the best place possible. So it just, you know, have you feel a little empowered on what you're doing and that you've made the right decision. Thank you. Okay. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. And before we go, I do want to tell you if you are listening to this the day that it drops or maybe the next morning. So if this is March 1st and you are listening, you still have time to register for the Andrew Poudois webinar, Cultivating Language Arts preschool through high school. So this is an event you aren't going to want to miss. And even if you can't be there live tomorrow, Thursday, March 2nd at 2 p.m., you, if you register ahead of time, you will have the whole webinar emailed to you or link to it sent to you so that you can listen later on when you have time. So please go to the Homeschool Helper to find that link and get registered for that. Thank you for joining us today on the Sequoia Breeze podcast, a breath of fresh air for your homeschool. I've been your host, Rebecca Lasavio. 